Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, Today we are joined by very special guest, uh, Tim Husband, uh, who is joining us all the way from Australia. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Tim. Not a problem, Kyle. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's good to virtually meet you as well. Uh, I wish I was uh, in sunny Australia uh, right now, but uh, I'm... In Ontario, Canada, which is getting a little bit warmer, which is, uh, <laughs> I guess, pretty nice. But um, uh, yeah, I was sort of uh, first exposed to uh, a lot of, um, you know, uh, some of the things you talk about, uh, particularly around leadership um, on LinkedIn. So I'm sure there's people listening that also follow you on LinkedIn and uh, you're very active on there and post some really great uh, leadership stuff. I, I, I like, uh, you know, talking and reading about leadership, but very rarely is there someone talking about those things, like specifically through the lens of, you know, a safari park zoo. So it's, it's uh, really interesting to hear your sort of, uh, takes on a lot of, a lot of those commonly talked about leadership threads. So it's, uh, interesting. Uh, great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I, um, well, that, I'm very humbled by that, but um, I only talk about what I know about. So, yeah, I only know zoos and, and safari parks. So I can talk quite frankly and honestly about what I would expect a, a leader to do and, um, you know, and my experiences over the years. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's great because a lot of those leadership books and all that they they're more from like the tech industry or things like that. So it's uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear specifically from the animal care side of things. But uh, do you want to sort of give an overview of your career and tell us a little bit about yourself to give people um, an idea if they don't already know you? Yeah, um, well, I originate originally are from New Zealand and um, immigrated to Australia at a very young age. But uh, I've worked over 40 years now in the zoo industry. And I've worked my way up from being a keeper, a guide, operations manager, curator, and all the way up to a director. And I have my own um, consultancy business called Zoo Works. And in that business, we do everything from build zoos. Um, The last one, of course, was Dubai Safari that uh, oversaw and, and put together and that job and basically entailed everything i had to find staff um, make sure that the staff got the correct type of wages and salaries for their qualifications um, find the put the collection together find the collection um, then sign off on every exhibit to make sure that it was not only safe but it was above the standards um, the great thing about the zoo industry is its standards are always changing. And if you can build a zoo that's above those standards, then when it changes, you're already there. Yeah. So you're ahead of the ball all the way. Um, so I made sure everything was above the standards, both in the facilities, the size of the facilities, but also the care. Um, put together the vet hospital. And I basically had to sign off on everything there. There was a, a, it was a billion dollar project um, and it went really well. And I was there for five years. Once the, the park was built, then the management came in, which was, of course, all locals. They, they move in. And then you set up a training schedule for them to train them because, obviously, they hadn't any experience at all. And that was also semi-successful. Um, you'll get the odd manager or operations manager that doesn't want to listen, that they think they know it all already. And it takes a bit of training to get them to understand that, the zoo industry is a completely different industry. Yeah. It's always evolving. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, and yeah, so, and the last thing I've been doing just recently is I've done a few zoo audits. We call them audits, but they're really a, a zoo review. Um, I get called into a park with anywhere around the world, and it takes about a month to do, and I interview everyone from cleaners up to directors, one-on-one. We talk about the park and how they feel with the 
the ground staff, how they feel about management. We talk to the management about how they feel about ground staff. And it takes about a month. And at the end of the month, I give them a review. And this is a total confidential um, review. So we don't broadcast that we're going to a certain park. We don't talk about it much. We don't name anybody, but we just say, this is where you may be falling short. And this is what we suggest you can do. We're not saying do this. We just say, we suggest you do this if you want to benefit more from your staff or if management wants to progress further, the park wants to progress further. We talk about that. We talk everything from keeper training to even marketing the park. One of the things we do is before we go to the park, we check out all the different marketing that they're doing to see whether or not people know about the park. And so we try to build the park up to say, if you want to progress further, try following these lines. And as I said, it takes about a month to do. And then once it's done, we hand it over and we disappear unless they call us back to maybe do a bit of mentoring. But normally once we've done that, it takes them a while to digest everything we've given them and away it goes again. Yeah, so that's a, that's what we're doing at the moment. But normally, if it's not the reviews, we're actually building or fixing up parks. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's super interesting. I, I would I would be uh, interested to know if there's sort of common themes that you're seeing like recently and in, in in recent audits that you've done. Like, is there is there sort of commonalities that a lot of zoos are are, are struggling with and and uh, ways that you've sort of overcame those those common threads? Yeah, I mean, it's a common thread with management that when they want to tighten the belt or they've been told to tighten the belt a bit and to save money, that they try to do cuts down the line further. So it might be that well, right, we can't give the keepers a pay rise or the guides a pay rise. We can't um, employ more staff. So they try to keep the, the budget low at the bottom where instead sometimes you can go up higher and you can say, look, you know, this manager here is already doing the job of two managers. So don't, you know, you can do away with one manager. Mm. Um, we, we see that um, sometimes some of the zoos, especially in the, in, um, I don't like using the, under, the word underdeveloped, but the ones that aren't ahead of the game, some zoos feel that more is better. And so they think having a huge collection of these, all these animals, is going to get the people in. It's not necessarily true. It's not about quality, uh, quantity. It's about quality. Mm. Get a good collection, and and look after that collection. Get seen out there doing conservation work. Get seen out there amongst the zoo industry, to that you are um, looking after your staff. That your staff are progressing. Nothing's worse than going to a park and seeing that it's stagnant in the way of growth for the the, the staff. And as soon as the staff aren't growing or aren't finding a challenge, they get to the stage where they don't want to come to work. Yeah. You know, they are the, 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 the last there and first to leave. You know, you want your staff so eager that they're getting up in the morning and powering on to work. You know, they're, they're looking for new ideas. And it's your job as management to encourage your staff to do that. So a trend that we are seeing is that sometimes management feel that they're above all that. And so we really ask, well, my, I myself ask the staff, that they, the management staff to go out and talk to their ground staff. Mm. Get out of your office, stop hiding in your office. This happens too often where management will be, think they're safe behind their desk. They surround themselves with like-minded managers and no one challenges them. Get out there in the, in the morning, go for a walk might not be so easy where you are, where it's really cold, but <laughs> make a point of getting out there and talking to your staff. Go up to a keeper and just, you know, you, they already know who you are, but you don't know who they are. Mm. So go up there and talk to them. Ask them how they're going, um, what they want to do in the future. Where do they see that? Don't ask that yet. Yeah, where do they want to see themselves? Question is a really dumb question, honestly. Where do you see yourself in five years? They're not going to say in your job. What yeah. they're going to say is, you know, that, oh, I want to progress further. I want to, you know, do great things. Well, find out what those great things are. Yeah. And then go back to your own office with that in mind. This keeper wants to do more enrichment. Okay. 
you know what, if you come back to that keeper the next day and say, hey, look, here's a couple of courses we fully support you doing on enrichment, or here's some ideas, or even better, how would you like to do a keeper exchange in another zoo and try and see what their ideas are? You know, that keeper will not only think you're wonderful, he or she will go at lunchtime and talk to the other staff. Do you know what the director just did? He's, you know, helping me progress. And it's the boost that your keeping staff need or your guides need. Guides shouldn't be forgotten either. Mm-hmm. We often in the zoo industry think, you know, keepers um, and management, we forget about the guides. You know, sometimes those guides, they're what I call the smile of the zoo. Now, if you go in to meet someone and they've got really bad teeth or teeth missing, everything, it, that's the first impression you get. Your guides are that smile. If your guides are shiny and bright and they are just, you know, dynamic about what they're saying and they've got full of knowledge and they're willing to help people, you walk away from that zoo thinking, what a fantastic place. So talk to your guides. Maybe they could do a guide exchange. Talk to another zoo. You as in a management position have the authority to talk to another zoo. Go to them and say, hey, look, we're thinking about doing a, a keeper exchange or guide exchange. You know, have you got someone there you'd like to swap with us? Just for, you know, it could be just for a month. Those people are going to go there. They're going to come back with all these great ideas. You know, and they're going to see things they haven't seen before. They'll learn things. They Even if they go to a, a park that may be not as good as yours, mm. they might have one or two ideas, but they'll come back more appreciative of the park that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Because they'll see how other, par- other parks are struggling, and they'll see that. Yeah. So to answer your question, the biggest mistake I think that managers are doing is they, they are forgetting that – those people on the ground are the backbone of the zoo. Mm. Go yeah. out there and talk to them. Yeah, no, it's what there's so much to unpack with everything you said. I feel like we could do a, an hour podcast on uh, every single thing that you just uh, that you just mentioned. I from you know collections shrinking uh, to to a more like quality focus as opposed to a quantity focus is is huge. I, I see that happening all over the place. Um, and with like animal welfare developing as it is, it's, you know, uh, like the keepers have to be so much more focused on, you know, a million things with each individual animal as, as opposed to, uh, maybe, you know, years previous and, and yeah, it takes just so much Mm. more manpower to, um, successfully keep up with a lot of these welfare trends than it does, um, than it did before. And it will continue, continue that way. And you have to, you know, either, shrink the collection or double your keeping staff every five years. Uh, um, so yeah. And, and, uh, you know, getting out of the office, uh, talking to the guides, um, you know, and, and developing those relationships, I, you know, relationships are, are so huge. And I think, you know, in this, in this industry, there's this, um, a lot of people talk about like people, you know, get into working with animals because they don't really like people that much, you know, and, and you, you hear that all the time. And, and that's just, that's just couldn't be farther from the truth. I find like, it's, you know, every time you're working with people, like you, you know, developing those relationships with people is the most important part of, of any part, any part in the zoo that you're playing. So, um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. Yeah. Yep, that's so true. That's so true. People, you know, you're right when you say that, you know, the old saying that people work in zoos or work with animals because they don't like people. Honestly, that that is crap. You know, be frank about it. It is it is rubbish. You you know, if you might have know a lot of bad people, but, you know, you go to any party where there's a zookeeper. Yeah. And someone someone says, what do you do for a living? You know, and that person will just go off like oh, a yeah, firework. Yeah. You know, I work in a zoo and this is what I do. Warm. And then people come with all these questions, you know, and you, you know, and you find that person is all, all of a sudden the focus of everyone's attention. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. My my wife always laughs whenever we're going out to dinner <laughs> with people or, or anything like that or meeting strangers or anything like that. And they, oh, what do you what do you do? And you know, she's a, she's a teacher and then they eventually get to me and then it's like, what, she's more like, just, just ask him what he does. Cause then that's, that's all we're going to talk yeah. about. Yeah. It's, uh, it's true. Yep, and that's true. And I, I think, uh, you know, uh, 
that sort of guide job is so important to that. And it's so important for keepers to, uh, to like learn and, and because there's so much they're passionate about and, 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 you know, how to communicate that to the public is, is, is so huge. So Mm -hmm. even those little conversations that you're having with people about how great your job is, like, that's what you're, you know, you're being a guide for the zoo, but you know, sort of outside the zoo, like it's, uh, that's right. You're the ambassador. You're an ambassador for the zoo. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the things that I, I, I uh, that jumped out at me here is, you know, um, you progressed from being a, a keeper, that sort of frontline staff that we're, that we're talking about to, to a management role. What, what was that sort of transition like for you? And, and what, what didn't you sort of realize about leadership before you became a manager? Um, it, it's, yeah. it would be interesting to have that sort of insight from you. I think um, the further you climb the the ladder in the zoo industry, the lonelier your position is. Um, you know, as a director, keepers don't want to hear about your problems. <laughs> really, they don't. They don't care. As far as they're concerned, you're in that ivory temple, that office, and you're 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 not out there. You know, so I didn't realise that as a keeper. As a keeper, I didn't realize how lonely it would be at times. Mm. You kept, you've got to take on the full responsibility. Um, and as a keeper, it was easy to sit back and say, you know, if I ran the zoo, I would do this, this, and this. Well, you know, when you're in that position of running a zoo, it's a lot different than you think. Yeah. You know? There are things going, factors going on behind the scenes that as a ground staff, you don't, you're not aware of. You don't know if the the, the zoo board has told the director slash the budget. You don't know if, you know, the, the board has told the director, no, you can't have a new exhibit. We don't have the money for it. Or it's your job to go and find that money, source that money through sponsorship or something. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And so, you know, as a, I now sort of regret um, as a keeper that I wasn't more compassionate about the director's and the operation managers that I worked under, because you know I I was one of those young keepers that you know when I was in my early twenties that would say they don't know a thing you know they they don't understand us. They do, they do. Well, the ones that have been in the industry for a while do understand, and if they are a good leader, they are compassionate about your plights, um, and they and they do want to help. They do want the zoo to progress. Their reputation's on the line as much as yours. So I think, you know, I think we as in the management area have got to remember what it was like as a keeper and we've got to be more open, Mm. Um, you know, as much as possible, allow the staff to know what's going on. Don't, you know, don't say, no, it's it's above their pay grade. There are certain things, obviously, you can't talk to the staff about, but at least show them that you are open enough to be able to, you know, if they have a question that you'll do your best to answer it. Yeah. That's my advice to all directors, all, all, and then the keepers, my advice to you, you know, it's easy to point the finger and say, you know, things could be better, but unless you know all the facts, you know, it's sometimes better just to wait back in the, in the background and wait and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good really good advice. I think, you know, one of the things that I've definitely been noticing, uh, particularly with a lot of like bigger animal care institutions, you know, there's when, when they're facing like animal care problems or, or welfare problems, um, uh, quite often behind a lot of those problems is a sort of team that isn't functioning the way it should. And, you know, whether it be from the management staff, the ground staff, uh, the small teams, large team as, as a whole. So since, uh, you know, you've, you've helped build a number of teams, like what do you, what sort of advice do you have with, you know, building and maintaining effective teams in animal care? Okay. There, there's a couple of things I would advise. One is of course, like building a house, make sure your foundations are the first thing that go down and the strong foundations. So make sure that your foundational cornerstones of each team are experienced, skilled staff. All right. So say say your team's got ten strong. Well, make sure there's at least two there at the bottom that 
are skilled and experienced. They have the years behind them. They've met problems before and faced those problems and overcome those problems. Then bring in your, your keepers that you're what we, what we call middle range keepers that maybe have two or three years experience, put them in there. And then don't overload with junior keepers, new, new kids off the block or in some undeveloped countries or third world countries, what they'll do is they'll outsource thinking that zookeepers are just basic laborers. And mm. so they'll get cheap laborers for half the price of a keeper thinking that all they do is they, you know, pick up crap and feed animals. That's all the keepers do. Well, don't make that mistake. All right. Hire, if you're going to hire junior keepers, hire them. They've got the passion and also then make in the interview, make sure that they understand that you are going to be a junior keeper for a couple of years. We want to teach you all the, the skills you need. And as you develop, you'll, you'll, um, you know, you'll, you'll go up through the ranks. The big mistake a lot of parks do is they get these, especially even here in Australia, they have different zookeeping certificates you can get. And you, you don't even have to work in a zoo sometimes to get these certificates. You just have to do the TAFE courses. Mm. They'll get these certificates and they'll walk into a zoo and go, oh, I've got a zookeeper, zookeeper certificate and they get hired. Honestly, if someone had just finished med school and got their doctor's diploma, would you allow them to do heart surgery on you? Yeah. No. Get them, get them to do the experience, all right? Set, tell these key, junior keepers, great, you've got your certificate. Now the learning really begins. Mm. We're going to start training you. And it's not going to happen overnight. Don't try to push yourself up. Don't try to jump you know, the ladder or climb up through friends or something like that. Get those skills you need. One of the things I've always pushed is that people that don't climb the ladder properly end up causing more problems than than solutions mm. because they make mistakes and because they're already high up in the in the ladder they don't want to accept those mistakes they'll blame someone else further down so get those skills you need so if you want your park to succeed and your team to succeed as i said get the foundations there get those senior keepers that have the skills to mentor your staff every zoo really and safari park should have their senior keepers should be mentoring the juniors mm. so assign them or say to the say to your all your ground staff say to them these are our senior keepers please approach them and ask them to be your mentor right and their job is to when a staff member has a problem whether it can be just like they it, they're overwhelmed by the work they go to their mentor their mentor will talk to them about how they can overcome these problems. And this applies also in management. You can't have managers that have just been pushed into that position that don't have the skills if they don't have someone to teach them. Mm. All right. So they need someone to, to, they can go to and say, look, I've got this problem. How do I, how would you overcome it? And this person who's got the experience can say, and which is a catchphrase that I always hated saying, but I ended up saying a lot was, well, in my day, we would do this, this, mm. this, you know, uh, but that's the way I had, and when I was a director, I was a director, I had an open door policy, mm. which meant it didn't matter who you were, you could come in. It used to drive my PA nuts because she couldn't organize my day properly for me because a staff member would just turn up and I would just push everything aside, say, come in, come in and we'd talk down, sit down and talk and you know and we try to overcome their problem or if i couldn't overcome it straight away i'll say leave it with me if i can't fix it i'll find someone who can help you right you don't have all the answers you won't have all the answers no anyone that says that they know it all is just lying you if you don't have the answer don't just say i don't know and put your hands up and give up say to them i'll do my best to find someone who can help you on this problem yeah so yeah, as I said, get those cornerstones in place first or else your team falls apart. Yeah, that's definitely something I've seen happen and I've seen good teams with that sort of solid foundation. Uh, it, do you have any sort of notes on specifically talking about like resiliency and flexibility? Because, you know, things are changing so quickly and a lot of the time, you know, you you hear those like sort of, sort of dreaded uh 
phrases like, you know, like this is the way we've always done it or, you know, stuff, stuff like that, that really prevents that change from happening. So do you have any sort of advice for mm-hmm. how to like, you know, build that flexibility into the team where they're ready for those changes before, before they become a problem? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, as I said, like, said before the the great thing about a zoo or a safari park is that it is constantly evolving right and if you want to you know stick to the way this is the way it always was and you know we're not gonna we can't budge what you're actually saying is i can't think outside the box Mm. you know i don't you know i'm not prepared to change if you're not prepared to change then you're in the wrong industry You've got to be able to change. And if you want to see places that don't change, go to some of the third world countries where they've got an old tin pot zoo that is really run down, but they've always done it this way. You know, we've always had concrete floors everywhere because it was easy to clean. We've always tiled the walls because that mm-hmm. could just be hose them down. Old ways of doing things, you know. You know, we always, you know, we're, we've always just had you know, old chimpanzee tea parties. Yeah, those things, those old things that used to happen were changed because we saw they weren't right. Mm. We used to always do elephant rides everywhere. Every zoo that had an elephant would be trying to get an elephant ride going, you know? And so these are the problems. We, We don't do that anymore because we have evolved with this organization that we we are blessed to work in. We've been able to keep up Zoos that don't keep up fall so far behind that eventually they are so run down that either they're just pulled down and rebuilt or they just get such a bad name. No one wants to visit them. Yeah. So, 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 you know, say there's a, you know, a more junior keeper and there's a senior keeper sort of that, that is reluctant to change. Like what would be your advice for that junior keeper to sort of, uh, you know, try to facilitate that change and try to sort of lead up the chain of command. Like, how would you recommend they go about that? Because that's something right. that that people talk about a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that is a really difficult thing because if you've got a senior keeper that is so set in his or her ways that they can't change because they've always done it that way, the the junior keeper can sometimes feel too intimidated to say anything. Yeah. So this is. Two things have got to be in place. One is this is where management have got to have that policy where you can question something without the fear of being punished. But a junior keeper, maybe you've got to actually start saying, well, I saw this in another zoo. They're doing this, this and this, you know, and they had such great success. Maybe we should be trying to follow that. Little steps, little steps. Don't automatically go up to the senior keeper and say, no, you're wrong or you're old fashioned. I mean, I remember as a junior keeper, I made that one mistake one time with an old keeper who had worked in, um, I think it was in London Zoo originally. Mm. He um, And he was an elephant keeper, and he believed that the only way to condition your elephant was to beat it yeah. and, and use that hook and really lay into that animal. You know, and he would not be told. And the only way he was t- eventually changed was that he was able to see these junior keepers doing a little little things at a time, little tiny things, encouraging the elephant to come close and standing in a spot by positive reinforcement, not negative. Um, working, working with the animal more than against the animal. Junior keepers, you know, in a hard spot um, because you, you don't want to make it, you know, or make out that you know it all and you don't want to get yourself a reputation of someone who causes trouble. So you've got to be a little bit fly under the radar with your stuff that you do to change things, but do it gradually, gradually. Don't do this huge step and say, get rid of that person and we should just you know, do it this way. Don't do that. As I said, say, hey, look, they're doing this in this park or this, this zoo and they're having great success. Always pick the ones that are having the great success mm. because an old, an old keeper, if he's seeing another park having great success, and it's reflecting that he's not having that success himself, he'll want to try to change, to try to keep up with the other park. Because if a park's already moving ahead, he doesn't want to be looked as if he's holding everyone back. So try to 
find parks that have always have already have that success and use them as your example. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, yeah, that's good advice. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's something, yeah, that people struggle with, but I, I, I don't usually see the situation where it's not coming from a good place. Like quite, quite often the, you know, that person that is, you know, stuck in the mud uh, with something is they're doing it from a place of, you know, well, they don't really want to admit that the way they were caring for the animal isn't necessarily the best way. Like they, they, they care about the animal. They're doing it from a place of love usually, but, um, yeah. And I think assuming that positive intent, and I, I think that that does apply to, to management a lot of the time as well. Like, um, as a mm-hmm. keeper, it's important to assume positive intent and, and try to figure out like why this decision was made in a positive way, as opposed to a sort of a negative, a negative way. So I think it's, yeah. it's a similar right. sort of structure there. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and we, we can't forget that our general public, the guests that are coming to the zoo are a lot smarter than they used to be. Mm. So they can pick up on things that are wrong as well. And if they see that an animal is being neglected or mistreated in a certain way, or they see that this animal doesn't look quite right, they're the first ones to get on social media and say something. Mm. So, you know, we, we can't forget that our public are basically also setting a high benchmark for us now. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. And I've always sort of tried to approach, uh, you know, even things like activist groups and like watchdog groups, uh, that are against zoos as a sort of a potentially a positive, because it's good to keep the industry like on its toes as far as like, you know, these are the standards and Hey, this is what we're doing better. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're continuously advancing and, and to get sort of called out on it every now and then, if, if you're not mm. sort of meeting those, those sort of standards. So, yeah, I think that's, that's true. That's too. very, yeah, that's very true. I mean, I've always said, and I, and I still today believe that I would hope that there'd be one day in the future and it's not going to be in yours or my, my lifetime, but one day in the future, there's going to be no such thing as a zoo or a safari park mm. that we don't need them that mankind has woken up and said, okay, let's lock away huge amounts of land for these animals. And, but it's not going to happen in our lifetime. And so while it's still not going to happen, it's up to zoos and safari parks to hold the genetic diversity that we're going to need to repopulate areas later on, you know, in a hundred years time or whatever. We are literally a living ark mm. and we're holding those animals. And that's the way we should be looking at it. We should be looking at it that we are privileged to hold on to this, these animals. And with that privilege comes a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. How, how did you sort of, what was your like mindset with going? Because, you know, like the, one of the things, especially from like frontline staff, you know, you hear and, and even like the people that are against zoos, uh, you hear like, you know, there's, X amount of money going toward the guest experience. And then there's a much smaller pot quite usually, um, going toward things like conservation and, and, and those breeding programs and stuff. So what, what, how was your, like, uh, how did you sort of approach those problems and, and what was your sort of mindset like with, with that? Well, I mean, I, I used to hate seeing how much money seemed to be wasted on, um, building a luxury office for all the management <laughs> when, you know, the, the, the park seemed to be running down. I mean, and I used to, used to worry that we'd have, you know, in some parks we have all these exotic animals and yet the only conservation work that was really being done was a little bit for their own, that country's native animals and not mm. for these exotic animals they were holding. And it's all well and good saying, yeah, we've got, um, you know, the Sumatra Tiger Trust and, you know, we're putting all this money that, you know, these donations are going into this trust for these Sumatran Tigers. But honestly, when you look into those type of things, often the money doesn't go where it's really supposed to go. It's just a feel good for the, for the park. And the guests see it and they think, oh, that's wonderful. They're saving the Sumatran Tiger. They're not really saving the Sumatran Tiger. What they're doing is that it's a... a 
rapping over holding a Sumatran tiger in, in exhibits. They're not doing really much from the conservation. Conservation can be not necessarily putting money into, into these things. It's actually part of education. Mm. And I've always said that if a good park has a good education um, program going for schools, then they are already doing a lot for conservation because you don't know what little kid's going to come through that gate that one day is going to be in a position where they have to make a decision about a piece of land or about, you know, funding a certain project. And if those kids have learned something in your zoo about, you know, the pygmy elephant or about the, the sh uh, a shrew or even the black-footed ferret, I mean, if they've learned something, that thing sticks in their head. And as they become an adult, they'll be going, I remember they did something or something with this type of animal. You know, maybe we should be putting our money into that or, or maybe we shouldn't be developing this piece of land. Maybe we should be looking at conserving these animals. Get those kids. I mean, we've, mm. we've screwed this planet right royally. <laughs> and it's up to our kids now to actually fix what we've done wrong. And the only way we're going to be able to, the only thing we can do to help those these kids fix that is educate them. And that is part of conservation. Education is a huge part. You know, it's not about putting money into things. It's about teaching people. Let them learn and and have a passion about these animals. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying to just get in there with that education side. That's a big part of a lot what a lot of zoos forget about. They may hire a teacher. And so you look after the kids when they come into the park. Yeah, and basically these teachers end up just being glorified guides. Mm. Get those teachers to a program where they can go out and, and talk to the kids about a certain species, whether it's a species that's close to them already in their own country or a species overseas. Yeah, yeah. The best ones I've seen are the yeah, the best ones I've seen are these parks that have what we call zoo mobiles, which mm. a little you know, a vehicle that a van chock a block with bits and pieces um, and that the kids can touch, skulls, furs, feathers, because it, overall a zoo for a kid can be pretty unfriendly. And I don't know what it was like for you as a kid, but me as a kid, I wanted to touch these animals. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd love to, be able to stroke an animal and it made a better connection. But, you know, we now say don't feed, don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. If you take this van out to the school and the kids can actually touch them, they get a, a better understanding. And the great thing for your park is that not only if you're showing that you're, you know, got a good education system, but these kids go home and they will nag their parents to take them to the zoo. Yeah. You know, I want to see this. I want to see that, you know, and eventually the parents go, okay, okay, we're going this weekend. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, it helps with your revenue as well. No, absolutely. I, I, I am a product of, uh, you know, I went to zoo camp when I was a little kid and I've worked at zoos my entire adult life, probably in no small part uh, to that zoo camp experience. So yeah, it can have a pretty large uh, impact. And, and I think that's uh, something that, that keepers and, and guides, uh, you know, need to keep in mind is like, you can connect with one person and completely change the trajectory of their life without even, without even knowing, you know, one positive experience, yeah. but it, I'm sure it can also go the other way. One negative experience can completely uh, change the way they're doing things as well. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So Definitely. you mentioned uh, like zoomobiles. Is there, is there other, you know, things that like when you've been to a lot of zoos and worked with a lot of zoos, is there, is there specific things that you see some zoos doing that you really wish like more uh, zoos around the world were doing or the, like even the way like they're organizing their teams or uh, different things like, like zoomobiles or, or is there anything that sort of comes to mind for you? Yeah, there is a lot. I mean, I'm, I would like to see more zoos do um, education shows. I mean, if we could find a better word than show, mm. uh, but these education uh, shows where, you know, they might have free flight birds come in and they talk about the bird and then fly it off the stage and another one comes in without making it too circusy and without, you know, making them do tricks 
but do them make them do natural behaviors i'd like to see more parks do that mm. um, because you know it's one thing to look at an animal behind the enclosures mesh or moat or whatever but it's another thing to see that thing right up close and and doing a natural behavior i'd like to see more of that happen i would like to see more more parks um with their marketing to and the ones i've seen that are successful with it is when they set their marketing team uh, a set goals every month you've got to have we've got to have at least four television appearances at least so many radio at least so many me written media there should be more of that um, because as we as you mentioned before there are these um, activists that are uh, anti-zoo so we've we've got to be more proactive in promoting ourselves stop hiding mm. you know be book proactive talk about the great things we do all the time every time there's a an animal born in your zoo boom send the photo to the press do a, a press release um, every time you're getting a new enclosure do another press release every time even a staff member does something as i spoke of before keeper exchange there's a good little article for your newspaper we're sending a keeper over to so and so place in exchange we're getting another keeper talk about your zoo more in a positive light mm. because when something negative happens people are going to remember that they're going to remember those negative things more than they will the positive so you've got to outweigh it you've got to be able to have for every negative you've got to have at least 10 positive things happening all the time always get your get your marketing team rolling where they are so enthusiastic to find stories they're going out in the grounds and talking to keepers do that um i think yeah and as i said i think with keeper exchanges it should be more of that mm. the most successful parks are the ones that send their keepers out um you know and you as a keeper can do that yourself contact a keeper from another park and say i'm going to put a proposal through to my director that we do a keeper exchange would you be interested right? do that type of thing start intermingling intermingling with ideas um and the great thing about our zoo industry it's a fairly small industry really mm, i mean yeah. you know compared with other huge industries we're fairly small and you know, don't rely just on conferences to get to know each other. Get out there and, and meet other other keepers. When you go on holidays, you know, like I used to drive my wife Wendy up the wall because every time we went away somewhere, it was I got to just go check this park out. I got to do this, <laughs> you know. And she go, well, what about over here? I would go, well, I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to the zoo, and I'd be gone for the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> and get to know people. Yeah. That's the thing. Get to know those in your industry. But as I said, keeper exchanges are really important because we've got so many new ideas happening around the world. And the only way you're going to get them is by talking to other keepers. Don't wait for it to come on from the internet. By that time, it's too late. It's old news. Mm. Go out there and see these keepers and talk to them. Get new ideas. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's the that's a big thing I would say to, to, to zoos today. Mm -hmm. get out there and and for the directors and managers get out there in those grounds stop hiding get out there and talk to your staff yeah you know, and you know the last thing you want is your staff member to see you walking up to them and they think oh no i'm in trouble mm. all right if you've done it a regular thing that you know you've gone and spoken to a couple of staff members every day the word gets around that yeah you, you know you're just coming and have a chat yeah and have that open door policy it's hard at first it's really hard to do that open door policy but eventually you know the keepers will start to trust you more and so they're, they're willing to open up more and they are happier the happier the staff the better your park will be no absolutely and and yeah i love what you said about uh you know even if you can't go to conferences and keeper exchanges i find this industry like everybody is so open so willing to chat i mean i have a i have a podcast and i i didn't know you a week ago but uh you know now we're 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 talking exchanging information like it's it's easy to do these days mm -hmm. like you can just send people, someone a message on uh Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, there's, there's tons of groups out there and there is a lot of collaboration that That's I see. Right. And it's, it's, it's really That's great because right. you know, there's yeah. so many, th these animals, a lot of the time they don't come with manuals. You can't, uh, just look up, uh, Oh, what, you know, where's the reset button on this lemur? Cause it's doing this weird thing. Like you, yeah, you talk right. to, you talk yeah. to another person and they've already solved your problem for you. You know, it's, it's good. That's to right. See. That, you're correct. You're correct. And the, and 
we've also got to be very careful that we don't rely on these manuals too mm. much. I mean, as you said, a lemma might have a problem and you don't know what to do. You look in the manual and there's nothing there about if they do this. So what are you saying? Then it can't be true. It can't be happening because it's not in the manual. No, go and ask someone else, you know, yeah. find out. In the old, in the old, in my day, in the old days, <laughs> we used to, we used to, you know, actually literally write letters to other zoos when we were getting new. I remember new animals. I remember when we, we got um, golden lion tamarins and we'd never had golden lion tamarins before. So I rode away to the UK to a couple of zoos there asking for any information. Mm. You know, and it took a couple of weeks before something came by post, yeah. the old snail mail, and you'd open up and you'd read it. And, you know, all of a sudden you've made this connection with someone. Yeah. So that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And in a small industry, like you never know who you're going to work with again. Or uh, it's the same when, when you've worked at enough zoos, you end up working with the same animals sometimes repeatedly. And that's it's, right. It definitely right. happens yeah. with people as well. So having that network is super important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And, and as you said, you, sometimes you end up working with the same people. So you've got to make sure that your reputation is good as well. Yeah. If you've got a, if you've got a dodgy reputation, then... You know, it, it it can backfire on you later. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I've seen plenty of stuff on Facebook about people asking about certain people, or oh, have you worked with this person because yeah. he's the new manager mm. of this yeah. or whatever. Or, so, uh, one last uh, sort of specific leadership um, uh, question I had for you was, uh, you know, do you have advice for people that are sort of maybe in a frontline position that are transitioning to a management position or are looking to transition to a management position? Do you have any advice for, for people like that in that situation? Yeah. And the only thing I would say is be the type of leader that you wished you had when you were coming up through the ranks, mm. be that leader. I mean, you'll get good and bad leaders. Learn from the bad leaders, all right? Don't let them sour you, but learn from them. Say, okay, that's how that person did it and we know it didn't work or that was such a bad way of caring for the staff. I'm not going to do that. You know, so both you can learn from both good and bad, but be that leader that you wished you had mm. is what I would say. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's good advice. You can learn from just as much from the bad leaders as you can from the, from the good leaders. That's for, that's for sure. True. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, is there any like project you're working on or anything like that, that you're particularly excited about that you want to talk at all about on the podcast or, um, well, I'm, I'm, I am excited about doing the, the zoo audits mm. that, um, you know, going in and, and trying to help zoos find the, the path that get back or get back on the path. Um, in the, the Middle East and the Gulf region, they're now looking at building more zoos and safari parks. Um, places like Saudi Arabia, um, because they know that they're, they, you know, in 30 odd years, they may not have the oil that they had before. Mm. So they're looking at new ways of getting revenue and they know that tourism is going to be the way. So they are looking at building a, a number of zoos and safari parks. I'm excited about that. Um, we've got feelers out at the moment. We'll see what happens with that. But as I said, the audit one is the one I'm enjoying the most at the moment, um, going to a zoo, you know, talking to all the staff and, and, and trying to help, help staff. I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it seems like very uh, rewarding work. Um, one question that I've been asking, uh, most of my podcast guests for the last, you know, 10 podcasts or so, if there was a poster that you could put up in every animal care facility and the one that actually people mm -hmm. would, would read and see, you know, in their lunchroom or whatever, what, uh, what would it say and, and why? I think it would be, um, that, that most people don't want to be part of the process. They just want to be part of the outcome. Mm. They want the praise and the pat on the backs, but it's the process is where you actually find out who is worth being there at the outcome. So those that are involved in the process, they're the ones that are worthy. So that would be my poster, you know, like, yeah, be part of the process right from the beginning and then you're worthy to be part of the outcome. Yeah, that's that's great. 
So uh, this was a fantastic podcast. Uh, is there anywhere that people can can follow you or keep up with what you're doing or check out uh, ZooWorks? Anything that you'd like to <clears throat> plug? I'll link everything in the in the show notes in the podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, our, our ZooWorks page is, is now being revamped. Um, we recently got hacked, so... Oh. <laughs> um, Technology is just wonderful. So, but you can, people can catch me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there all the time. Um, I always check that a couple of times a day. Uh, always got, you know, always there to help anyone that's, um, you know, has wants advice on something. I'm always open for that. Uh, and of course, once I get to know the person, then I, you know, and I feel it's all right. I'll give them my email address so they can contact me directly. Yeah, no, and I would definitely recommend uh, following Tim on uh, on LinkedIn. I've learned a lot just from just from your posts that uh, you know go up every every couple days. Um, it's uh, very very informative. So I will definitely link that uh, below. So if you get a bunch of random followers, this is maybe where it uh, where it came from. So <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks again, Tim. This was uh, was great, and um, you know, it's some really great insight into zoo leadership and uh, you know how these things work. So I really appreciate you coming on. Not a problem at all, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.